1: Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience.
0: Waywardradio.org slash free Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
1: And I'm Martha Barnett. And Grant, I have a puzzle for you. Okay. Take these two words. You might want to write them down. Okay. Take the two words and arrange them into one word mm-hmm. by rearranging the letters. And the two words that I want you to rearrange are "new door." New, Take the letters in that.
0: New door. Yep. Okay. N
1: e w d o o r. Rearrange the letters into one word.
0: And what am, what's my end goal? Just to get something cool happening.
1: Yes. So to get something cool happening.
0: Wonder something, I don't know.
1: Take the letters in new door, hmm. rearrange them to form one word. To form t-
0: Oh, ha, ha one uh, word.
1: <laughs> you got it. I knew you would get it. I knew you would get well, it. Well, you
0: did hit one word a little hard there. Oh, did I? That it. last yeah, time? You <laughs> clued me in. Thank you for that. That's right. Who ta- knows how long I would have struggled.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I thought you did really well. Rearranging the letters in new door to form literally one word. Nice. Yeah,
0: my nine-year-old's going to love this one.
1: I thought he might. I thought you would, too.
0: We love your puzzles. If you want to trick us or fool us or riddle us, give us a call, at 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way
2: with words. Hi, good morning.
0: Good morning. Who is this?
2: This is Jeanette from San Diego.
0: Hi, Jeanette. Welcome to the show.
2: What can we do for you, Jeanette? So I was wondering, I'm from New York originally, and um, I'm now living in California, and it's about the pronunciation of the word Carnegie. So growing up in New York, you know, we have Carnegie Hall. We're familiar with Carnegie, the steel um, industrialist uh, who, you know, was a philanthropist mm-hmm. and built Carnegie Mellon, Carnegie Hall, et cetera. But on your show, I keep hearing about, you know, such and such a show was funded by Carnegie Trust Fund and Carnegie. So I was wondering about the pronunciation and which is the correct pronunciation, Carnegie or Carnegie? Yeah, well, if you're talking about the uh, industrialist
1: and philanthropist who gave the money for all of those things, uh, it's he's he was from Scotland originally, Andrew Carnegie. He
0: or, was, a, he oh. was a, actually a Scot, right? He was right. an Americanized right. Scot. Right.
1: right. Irish. Right.
2: right. Or Scotch-American, yeah.
1: Yes, and if you go to his little hometown in Scotland, that's what you'll hear again and again. Carnegie. Carnegie.
2: Carnegie accent on the second syllable. Mm-hmm. Oh, a, yeah.
0: the, more of an A than an E. Eh.
2: Right. So the Carnegie Hall that exists in New York should actually be pronounced Carnegie Hall. Well, well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to argue mean, with it, I'm not going to argue yeah. with nine is million it, New Yorkers.
1: <laughs> ah. <laughs> no, he tried that and it didn't work. So <laughs> that's a battle
2: that won't be won, huh? It is a local
0: pronunciation. As far back as the 1940s, you can find uh, people in the car in the Carnegie Journal, which is about uh, Carnegie Mu- Carnegie Museum and the Carnegie da 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 all this stuff, um, complaining about the New York pronunciation of the word.
2: So it's
0: only in New York that it's pronounced Carnegie. Well, mostly in people Carnegie who learn from New Yorkers. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, Western
1: Pennsylvania, oh. they they get Carnegie, right? Yeah, they
2: but, say um, Nagy or oh, Nagy.
1: Mm-hmm. It's kind of a combination yeah, it's of, kind of... of those two. But, you know, Jeanette, you raise an interesting larger question, and I'm so glad you're from San Diego because I have a question for you. Sure. About 3 or 4 times a week I go hiking on the highest mountain in this area and you probably know it and it's spelled C O W L E S. How do you pronounce the name of that mountain? C O W L E S. Mhm. I would pronounce it Cowles Mountain. Right. Right. I know. And that's that's my problem, because properly, that mountain is pronounced Coles Mountain. It was named for a guy whose last name is Coles. And, in fact, if you go to the trailhead, there's all this information from the Mission Trails Regional Park that includes the pronunciation, the proper pronunciation of the mountain. But my problem is, when I tell people, here in San Diego even, that I hike on Coles Mountain, They correct me and say, oh, no, it's Cowles, C-O-W-L-E-S. So my question to both of you is, what do you do about that? If you know the technical name for something, but everybody else calls it, Something else, or you think? I mean, it's like every time I switch to cows, I always find somebody who says, "Oh, but it's coals." Right. So it just always mm-hmm. stops down the conversation. So I just sort of say the mountain near my home.
2: As a person who works with a lot of uh, uh, has worked as an English teacher, you know, for I- uh, immigrant um, individuals, uh-huh. right, with lots of different accents that they bring into uh, our our English, right? Mm-hmm. I have to say, what I say to that is. Viva la différence, <laughs> yeah. and and I applaud the diversity, right? Um, yeah, and I think that uh, living in today's global society, we have to really applaud diversity, and um, and you know, welcome nuances uh, in in accents and in um, you know phrases. Your show is all about that of the idiomatic expressions from different regions and different eras of time. Mm-hmm. So. That makes life interesting. Yeah, we're all about diversity. And when in
0: Rome, do right. what the Romans do. And, and and exactly. So when in New York, know, say like Carnegie. Don't fight
2: with New Yorkers. I wouldn't <laughs> fight with... <laughs> That's
1: right. We know it's Houston. <laughs>
0: Houston Street. Yeah. there's yeah. a But there's one little note I want to toss in here about Carnegie versus sure. Carnegie. And that is uh-huh. that he became a well-known figure before radio. So you were more likely to read his name rather than to hear Mm. his name. There you go. And so the local New York pronunciation... So that opened it up
2: for interpretation with pronunciation. Mm -hmm. And people,
0: the regular person, did not have that personal access to the Carnegie family in order to adopt that actual pronunciation. Well, that makes
2: sense. Well, Jeanette, thank you so much for your call. Well, thank you so much. That was very interesting. Thank you. I appreciate your taking my call. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Call us,
1: 877-929-9673, or share those language stories in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
3: Hi, this is Lasanya Moore from Eulis, Texas.
0: Hi, Lasanya. Welcome to the show. How can we help? Thank you.
3: So um, I have a friend, an older gentleman that I'm dating. He's about 15 years older than me. And um, sometimes when he tries to, I'll say, get fresh, quote-unquote, fresh wow. with me, and I want to come to his advances, he will apologize to me, and he will say, I'm sorry for losing my faculties with you.
0: His, I, his faculties? Yes. Yeah.
3: F-A-C-U-L-T-I-E-S. And I've just never heard that word used to relate to, you know, trying to do that to someone, and I'm just trying to get a better understanding of, of the history of that word and if he's using it correctly. So oh, so,
0: hmm. how long have you been dating this guy?
3: I've been dating him for six months now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and what would you expect him to
1: say rather than that? Yeah, that's a good question.
3: Uh, maybe I apologize for getting, trying to get fresh with you. Maybe that was inappropriate. I apologize for being inappropriate. You know, yeah. I would expect something like that. Uh-huh. Did you but ask him? not faculties. Him? I've never heard that. Did you yeah, ask I've him. never heard that did, either did in you that ask him? context. <laughs> did you ask him about it? I did. And then he says, well, that's what it he tells me. Well, that's what it means. It means that I made an advancement towards you, and you rejected the advancement, so I lost my faculties with you. I lost myself with you. Yeah, I huh. could
0: see how he could get there. And and here's why, Lasagna. Faculties can mean your senses, your emo- okay. so he lost his senses. He lost control of his 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 behavior more or less, mm-hmm. and he I guess he let the his emotions uh, get feelings get the better of him and and stop being able to govern his his actions. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what he's saying, right? Yeah, because if your faculties are your it's like your mental or your physical abilities, and a lot of times it just kind of reduced down into your senses mm-hmm. um, and your sense of awareness, your sense of place, your sense of propriety, those kinds of senses, as well as, you know, touch, touch and taste and seeing and so forth.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Your, your ability to control your impulses, I guess. But, mm-hmm. you know, I have to say that that sounds really charming and gallant to me. Oh, does it? Nice. Yeah. Is, he,
0: is he a gallant speaker?
1: He is. Yes, he is. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, it just sounds so, I don't know, gentlemanly and chivalrous. Right. Instead of
0: saying, like, sorry, whatever, which which you could have said, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, is this the kind of guy who would, I mean, I'm picturing the kind of guy who would, you know, lay down his coat across a puddle for you to step across. Have I got that right?
3: Yes, open the door, you know, make sure you're comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, make sure the temperature is correct, make sure you have everything that you need. Very formal. So, yes, uh-huh. it, oh. it kind of fits his personality. Oh, I see.
0: Send us a postcard when the wedding happens, will <laughs> <please>. you? Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I sure will. I sure will. Well, thank you for this. This was great. Oh, oh good,
0: good. pleasure. Good. Yeah, for it doesn't sound
1: like you two need much help.
0: I would say good luck with that, all right?
3: All right. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye. Tell them hello for us. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: We do solve marriages and now love lives.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We do, and we'd love to know what you think. Call us, 877-929-9673. Grant, do you know this exhibit at LACMA, the LA County Museum of Art, called the Rain Room? It's mm. really, really popular and you go into this room and it, it looks like it's raining in there, but any place a person goes and walks around they don't get rained on?
0: No, and I don't know that room. They turn
1: they turned on the lights purple after Prince died to, oh, that's nice. to honor him. Well, The reason I asked you and the reason I asked you that way was I was talking with a friend the other day and I said, oh, have you been to the Rain Room? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been to the Rain Room. And then she realized, oh, wait, no, I haven't. I've only seen it online. Mm. And we both realized that we had this sense of having been there without actually going there. And I was thinking about the conversation as a result of that you and I had uh, years ago about fofiness. Do you remember this?
0: Friend of a friend?
1: Yes. Yes, when when we see people on Facebook uh, who aren't necessarily our friends like right. maybe the the children or the or the dates or the spouses mm-hmm. of the people who are our friends but we feel like we know them and we feel like we know what's going on in their lives. Yeah. Because we've seen our friends' Facebook feed. And so I was thinking there there ought to be a word for experiential fofiness. Something like that. You know, something where you you feel like a you've you've had the experience but you haven't really.
0: Yeah, I had an embarrassing moment a few years ago where there's a woman who is a friend of like, I have like 20 or 30 friends in common with her on Facebook. Mm-hmm. She's like involved in politics one way or the other. And then I saw her in the park. It's a, there's an event, a gathering of some kind. And I greeted her like somebody that I really <laughs> knew. And she gave me like, you laser eyes like the the like how is, is this man threatening me oh, the kind no. of yeah oh because I Isn't was too yeah it was weird but I felt like you know like sorry about the dog yeah the new place oh. looks great you know I didn't say that but that's what I was feeling inside uh-huh. kind of like all this stuff I know about her like the new place looks great oh yeah the the you know sorry about the car trouble whatever this kind of stuff that you see on Facebook oh
1: that's hilarious yeah. so she was a fof a friend a fof. of a friend yeah. so weird well if you have a word for experiential fof Let us know what it is, 877-929-9673, or send it to us in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org.
0: We talk with more good folks about language when The Way With Words continues.
1: Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads.
0: That's right. Imagine a way with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising
1: interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free.
0: It's inexpensive, easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify.
1: It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience.
0: And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org adfree.
1: Sign up today. Your support means the world.
0: waywardradio.org adfree. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Away Way With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett.
0: And I'm Grant Barrett. And we're
4: joined by John Chinesky from New York City. Hey, quiz guy. What's up, bud? Hey, John. Hi, word people. How are you? I'm doing just fine. All right. You know, I imagine that most of our listeners, being... Uh, Word freaks and puzzle people are like me. They like lists. You guys like lists, don't you? Just Mm once in a while. Sure, yeah. Sure. It's just nothing about diving into a list. So, no, we don't usually go the trivia route here, but I'm making an exception because this is all about words. I'm using as my source material the top 100 most common words in English as compiled by Oxford Online, which is associated with the Oxford English Dictionary. I'm going to start very, very easy. There are only two words on this list, that are 1 letter long. What are they? A I, and I
1: and uh, A. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, A and I. A is uh, word number 6 and I is number 10, exactly number 10. Very good. Great start. Now, there are exactly 2 cardinal numbers on the list. What are they? 1st.
1: Oh.
4: Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Wait, is that We need Yes, no we have to... <laughs> um, um, one of you numbers. one of you is going down the right path. Oh, the one is not. One is O-N-E. Yes. Yeah. And then 10? No, not 10. Uh, Five. Two. Two is right mostly. Oh, two? Yes. Okay. You're spanking him, yes. One I'm is at guessing. number 35, and two is at number 84. Doesn't matter. Guesses are just as good in this game. Huh. Uh, next question. There is exactly one ordinal number on the list. What is it? Oh, first. First. That's first, Yes. <laughs> But Martha got that in first, as as they do on the internet first. Now to the top of the list, what are the first five words on the list of the top one hundred most common words? Oh lord. The. Yeah. Yes, that's number one. And.
1: Is.
0: That's number
4: five. Me. No. Are. No. No. Not a r e. No. Really. No. Um, is. Words. No. Words am. two three and. No. I'll give you this. Words two three and four are all two letter words, and word number two is actually a form of the word. M, that is its. It's B.
1: Oh, two. Oh, I see. Did we ha- say no. two already? T O.
4: No, you didn't, and that's number three.
1: Okay. Of.
4: Of is correct. Very good. You got all five. Nicely done. Only three letters of the alphabet do not appear in any word on the list. What are they? Mm, <laughs> X. Yeah. X is right. Q. Z. Q is right, and Z is right. Yes, very good. Your Scrabble score. Has just tripled. Now, the first three nouns that appear on the list can be placed into the following blanks in order to make an annual issue of a U.S. magazine. What are they? Blank, Sports, blank, bikini. No, no, no. no before, <laughs> let me let me. Uh, <laughs> yes, what? bikinis on the top one hundred <laughs> words in English. Blank, blank of the blank. Times Man of the Year. Oh, not man. times. Person of the Year. Yes, time, oh, time, person of the year. Very good. <laughs> 55, 61, and 63 in order. Nice. <laughs> That's yes, very clever. You. What one. an
1: interesting quiz. We learned a lot. Thanks,
4: guys.
0: Thanks, John. We'll Take talk to you care, next John. week. John. Bye-bye. Next week. Bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or tell us all about your language dilemmas on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello. You have a way with words.
5: This is Anna. I'm calling from Indianapolis, Indiana.
0: Hello, Anna. Welcome to the show. Hi, Anna. What's up?
5: Well, I have a question about the word ask. Um, I am a consultant in the electric power industry, and over the last few years I've been involved with a lot of projects where we have to report to executives, um, and usually we're wanting something from them, um, such as more time or more money or something like that. And whenever we are creating presentations for these groups of executives, um, people always say to me, what is the ask? Um, You know, we need to really narrow down that ask and we need to frame the ask correctly. So basically they are changing the word ask from um, a verb into a noun. And I have to confess, it drives me absolutely crazy because I feel like we already have words that they could be using, for example, question or request. It seems to me that, you know, a request for the executive would work just as well. So my question was really, if you had any idea when this started and why it started and why business people love to create new words all the time.
1: Ask is weird because you grow up not hearing it the way that that you're hearing it now, right? It sounds just kind of weird, and linguists call that process nominalization, where you take a word that doesn't usually function as a noun and um, make it function that way. Like, I don't know, do you do you and your colleagues talk about epic fails?
5: All the time. All the time.
1: Okay. And does that bother you or just strike you weird or does it seem clever or what?
5: Um, you know what? That one doesn't bother me, probably because I started hearing that one when I was a teenager and I thought it was you know,
1: new and fun, right? And so you heard "ask" for most of your life as a verb, right? And then when you get into right. the business world, and it becomes a noun. And there are a lot of words that do that. Um, you know, we talk about the big reveal in a Hollywood movie, or or um, instead of
0: revelation. Yeah,
1: yeah, the big reveal. <laughs> and I'm thinking of the opposite of ask, tell. You know, when we talk about poker. Uh-huh. A tell is is a gesture or an expression that that tells something about what you're feeling. In the case of ask, um, in the business world, I think it does have a more specific... shade of meaning, a kind of specificity to it.
0: So you're saying that a question or request wouldn't quite work.
1: That's what I'm thinking. I mean, I know in the fundraising world, an ask is is something very specific. You're not just making a general ask, you're asking for $10,000 or something like that. Uh, The other weird thing about ask as a noun is that it goes back a thousand years or so. Isn't that weird? Really? Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah.
0: Even before, modern English was modern yeah. English, like back into English that doesn't look like English.
1: Yeah. Old English in, in 900 or so. Um, and that's in part because we didn't have the word request at that point. And I'm assuming we didn't have question. I'm not sure about that one. But I know that we didn't have request, which came to us uh, from French in the 14th century. So, um in the business world, I used to be bothered by the notion of ask, but more and more, it it seems like business jargon that's kind of useful.
5: Yeah, I mean, now that you've explained it, I, I can see where it, you know, is a little bit more, more functional than I thought. So.
1: And you guys use it a lot then, or your colleagues oh, do? We
5: use it. Yeah, we use it all the time, and it most often does... Um, involve money. The ask is usually, you know, for a million dollars or something like that.
1: Yeah. Or or for somebody to do a specific thing, right?
5: Right. Yeah. It's usually when they're trying to zero in on the, the specific thing that they want the executives to do. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so it usually it almost always involves asking upper management or you know leadership or something.
1: Right, right. Well, my suspicion and and I think Grant will agree with me is is that it's going to become more and more common and mm-hmm. just because of its utility.
0: Yeah, if you search in the news index like Factiva or LexisNexis, you will see a gradual increase over time proportionally of the use of a variety of constructions that use "ask" as a noun, like "make an ask" or "making an ask." And mm-hmm. um, and it's really interesting. This falls squarely into what Martha was saying about this this kind of business jargon that repels people, on but is so useful. And it's partly repels people because they are newcomers to it. And so we have this kind of like, oh, there's a symbol, the sign of the foreigner, the outsider, the the person who doesn't belong. Let's reject it. And, and we have to slowly accommodate ourselves to the fact that we are now insiders in the group that uses the language that we despise.
5: Exactly. Yeah. It usually takes me a few years to warm up to any new business word.
0: Thank you so much for your call.
5: <laughs> oh, well, thank you. This this helped me out a lot. Thank you very much.
0: Sure. Take care now.
5: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
6: Bye-bye.
1: Call us with your language question, Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Hi, you have a way with words.
6: Hi, this is Asher in Burlington, Vermont.
1: Hi, Asher. Welcome to the show. How can we help you?
6: Uh, My dad, I was about three years old, and him and my mom were hanging out, and he jokingly called me a little gomer. Uh, Gomer spelled G-O-M-E-R. And I had no idea what that was and ran into the other room crying, to which they both cracked up. And to this day, still don't really know what Gomer is. Um, I was recently visiting my dad in Indiana, and he gave me a little more insight how there was a character named Gomer Pyle on the show, uh, the Andy Griffith show. Um, but he still didn't really have an explanation of you know where the term or the word came from. So I'm hoping maybe you can provide a little more insight. Gomer
1: Pyle, boy, that really takes me back. Yeah, right? I watched that program every single what? day catch, after school. Do his catchphrase. Which one? Well, <laughs> well golly. No, and he would one. say, shazam, too. <laughs> he was just the biggest goofball. I mean, he had his own show.
0: Yeah, he went on to do several shows with the same character, right? This, yeah, this kind of rustic, rude okay. local yokel guy.
1: Yeah, Jim right? Neighbors.
0: Yeah, that's uh, what we know about Gomer. It really pops up immediately as soon as that show hit the airwaves in 1963, and it became common slang for um, a stupid person, a loser, a hick, a hillbilly, <laughs> somebody who uh, didn't know, you know, one end of a stick from the other—that sort of person.
7: But
1: he was good-hearted. Huh. He but good, always failed in the end.
0: But Gomer kind of lost that connotation and just kind of just became a kind of a, uh, a gentle derogatory so, term.
6: So my dad was calling me a bit of an idiot, but a good-hearted idiot. Yeah, maybe. A
1: yeah, good-hearted three-year-old. So. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's a very sweet term, I think, little Gomer. It's really? not very
6: common anymore, though. No. No, well, he was a big fan of the show, and that's, that's where he said he got it from. Oh, he um, did. Okay. Um, mm-hmm.
1: All right. Yeah, um, you should go. I, you know, I actually, Asher, have the complete box set of Gomer Pile.
6: You do? I
1: do. I loved it. Do you?
6: Okay. Yeah, you got to check it
1: out, Asher. This would be a good bonding experience for you.
6: I guess we got to go watch some Gomer Pile together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. Yeah, Gomer. And there's a medical use of it that is far more common now, medical slang Gomer, um, where everyone believes it stands for get out of my emergency room, but it doesn't. It also comes from this fellow on the show. And if you look in uh there's an article written in the Journal of American Speech in 1989, the linguist who put that together has a really important part where he talks about Everett Greenbaum, who wrote the show, named it after a writer he knew named Gomer Cool. So he named the oh, character I Gomer Pyle after Gomer Cool. Oh. And so we actually have we have like a really nice connection there where we've got like a solid evidence that the word came from the show, and we know where the name in the show came from, too, which is really rare for slang, like incredibly rare. So I always, so anytime doctors and medical folks bring up the GOMER that they think stands for the acronym, we're able to confidently say, no, it does not come from that acronym, despite what you you believe. And
1: that's somebody with a lot of complaints or yeah. physical complaints.
0: Yeah, just to. somebody who comes in and they're just, uh, every, they want everything from you, all of your time, all right. of your resources,
6: all of your staff.
7: Get out
1: of my emergency
7: room. Very, very interesting.
6: Thanks for calling. <laughs> hey, thank you both so much. Thank you.
1: Okay, take care, Ashley. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
6: You too. Bye.
0: You can find us at 877 929 9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at WAYWORD.
1: We heard from Glenn Reinhart in San Antonio, Texas, and he writes. Last week, my daughter, 8-year-old Cameron, and I were listening to a past episode of Away With Words. During the puzzle with John Chinesky, Martha commented on how the words peppered and leopard rhyme and should be part of a limerick. So Cameron and I took up Martha's challenge. Oh, boy. Let's see it. Okay. This limerick is called the fastidious feline. A hungry yet finicky leopard, one day she encountered a shepherd. But she chose to get thinner instead of making him dinner for the man was not salted and peppered. Oh nice. I think that's a pretty great collaboration
0: that's between a guy and his 8-year-old yeah. daughter.
1: Congratulations, Cameron.
0: <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. 8779299673
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
8: Hi, this is Philippe.
1: Philippe, where are you calling us from?
8: I am calling from uh, Eureka, California. Uh, My local radio station is uh, KHSU Arcana, Ah, Humboldt State University.
0: Um, Welcome to the show, Philippe. How can we help?
8: Well, um, I hear a lot of people using the word precipice uh, in sports, in politics, and trying to mean that it's, Uh, We are uh, on the precipice, which means that we're getting ready to to have a big event. Mm -hmm. Uh, Precipice is a French word, and precipice is actually a hole in the ground, a chasm. And if you're on the precipice, you are crashing, you're falling, and it's not good news. Uh, My question to you is, did the meaning change when it went from the French word to the Americanized version? Or is it bad use of, of that uh, that word? I mean, in French, you're always on the edge of the precipice, but you're not on the precipice.
0: Interesting. Mm. That's a really great question. We did get this from the French. The English speakers got this from the French speakers about 400 years ago, but it wasn't much before that that it entered French itself from Latin, at least according to Le Petit Robert Dictionary, which which is the one that I use. What's even more interesting to me is if you look this word up in a big dictionary when it has all the different meanings of precipice in English, mm-hmm. you will find that it does admit or does allow you to use it to mean the hole itself, not just the edge of the hole or the cliff, the like the 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 cliff that surrounds an abyss or the cliff that surrounds a valley or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you're right, you're totally right. In English we're more likely to think of it as the lip itself, as that that very in a highest point where you step one foot forward and you're going down to your death, right? That's how we right. think of
8: it. So, if you're on the precipice, are you actually falling, or are you right at the edge?
0: If you looked it up in French, I suspect that you will find, um, both. I think there's both exist in French as well. It either means mm-hmm. that you are about to fail, like it's an inevitable that you will fail. Or that there's a chance that you could fail if certain conditions
8: happen. Yeah, actually, when I, I did look at it before the show here, and uh, it is it is the hole. So if you're on the precipice, you're you're failing, you're falling, you're done already. Uh, yeah, you're in try, You're in real trouble. Uh, there's a there's a pretty funny quote by a politician way back then. Um, he was saying that France was on the edge of the precipice. And if he was elected, uh, we would take a step forward, which was a, <laughs> a, a terrible way to <laughs> terrible that's, that's you not know, good. To, that's terrible to, to say. Yeah, you know, it's the worst thing to say, but uh, it, it didn't hurt him. He got elected, but still, it's just you know, it's one of those things. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a it's a funny meaning for me, uh, you know, when I hear it here. And we are on the precipice, it's usually pretty bad news. Uh, yeah. I mean,
0: you really nailed something here. I mean, we're talking about 400 years of divergent history. I think it's amazing that the words are as alike as they are because we've had centuries for these two, this word, to change in both languages even more dramatically than they have.
1: That's well, so interesting. All the mountain hiking I do, I think of precipices being something way up high rather than
0: right. But way up high with like chance of death just beyond. Oh yeah,
1: yeah,
8: yeah, <laughs> <Too> st- <laughs> yeah
1: Don't back well, up yeah, too far to you're take that selfie. Grand
8: Canyon, you know, yeah. chasm, you know, vertical drops. Uh, yeah, it's usually a very, very dire situation if you're if you're falling in the precipice. You're you're in serious trouble.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, cool. Thank you so much, Philippe. We really appreciate your call. Well, thank you very much. Take care now. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Well, if a word or phrase is puzzling you, we'd love to talk with you about it. Call us at 877-929-9673, or if you have a story about language, send it to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Our conversation about terms of endearment in different languages prompted Christine Ruffner to write us from Myanmar. She lives in Lashio there, and she noted that the term atele in that country means my little liver
0: and that's a a term of affection.
1: Yes, isn't that sweet, my My little you know, sort of like we might say my heart.
0: My sweetheart, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. And apparently, the the liver is something celebrated in other languages in a way that we don't. Yeah, Persian as well. In in the Middle East, throughout the Middle
0: East, and much of the Arabic speaking world.
1: Yeah, so it's nice to get beyond our borders. Yeah, and
0: it seems weird to us because we don't use it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So thanks to Christine for writing us from Myanmar.
0: Give us a call, 877 929 9673, or send us something on Twitter at WAYWORD. More conversation about what we say and why we say it when Away with Words continues.
1: My father grew up in poverty in the mountains of North Carolina. And at age 13, he moved to a nearby town and begged for a job in a textile mill. And this was before child labor laws. And so at age 13, he was working 10-hour days, five and a half days a week. And what he would do was stand with these giant blades to cut towels as they came through the machinery. Hmm. And over the next five years, standing there in that same spot, doing that same repetitive motion over and over and over again, he wore a hole into the solid oak floor and he used to tell me a lot of stories about that experience. Uh, He talked about how they were all called lint heads, the people in his town, because there was all this lint in the air that stuck to their hair and clothing. And the other thing that he always told me was about how deafening it was inside that textile mill. He would have nightmares on into his 80s and 90s about being in this deafening textile mill and not being able to get out. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately and wishing that I could talk with him about that because I've been reading up on the language the sign language that people in loud industrial situations have to work out in order to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. You and I both read this article yeah, recently right. about was Sawmill. On
0: Atlas Obscura, I believe. Yeah, 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 which
1: is a wonderful site. And linguists have studied this to some degree, and in some places they've found as many as 175 different signs that oh, people cool. are using in that kind of situation. And for me, it's really fascinating because you sort of see a language being born, mm-hmm. the idea that they're not only telling each other with hand motions how many things to produce or how mm-hmm. long an item should be before they cut it, but, but they're coming up with, with terms for, like, the word weak It's going to take a week or in a week, they Mm -hmm. might use like a hand over the muscle as a pun to mean weak. the joking that
0: the guy's muscle is weak. Yeah. Yeah. And a
1: lot of that language, which I'm sure you appreciate, is crafted in order to keep the bosses from knowing what they're talking about. Oh, interesting. I was reading about uh, mills in the UK where people used a tapping of the head the top of the head to mean that the big managers are coming in, because these were the people who would be wearing top hats.
0: Oh, very good. Uh Yeah.
1: So it's just kind of a a fascinating little language that's not heard, (laughs) literally, not heard about very much.
0: Yeah, I read that article with a lot of fascination, and we will link to that in the show notes for this episode. We're really interested too in knowing more about what you do. What is this, something that's not quite language but feels like language? Mm. Do you have signs and signals, something in your family perhaps? Mm-hmm. Um, in my family, we have this really dumb little thing. We do what we call kitten paws. <laughs> that's you put cute. your little hands up next to your uh-huh. chest and you tuck your fingers down like a little kitten paws folded over. And in our sign, it's kind of the universal sign of, oh, isn't that cute?
1: So you look like a baby T Rex. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> um,
0: anyway, share it with us if you've got something, just this little kind of quasi language, a sign a signal, a a, a special word, Mm -hmm. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
9: Hi, this is Kat calling from Dallas, Texas.
0: Hi, Kat. Welcome to the show. Thank you. What's up?
9: I have a phrase that I've said since I was a kid, and it's something I learned from my mother, and it's no great shakes. For instance, if you said, oh, John's wonderful. He volunteers at the church all the time. He's a loving husband. You might say, oh, he's no great shakes. And it's because you happen to know something about him, such as, well, he's no great shakes. He steals from the collection plate. Oh,
1: oh my.
9: You're wondering about the origin of that? Yeah. I mean, I had a friend, and she refused to believe that that was an actual saying. She would say, no, you're just weird. You get that from your mother. She says all kinds (laughs) of weird things. Oh. But then she read a book by um, a Japanese author, and the phrase was in there. And she came to me, and she said, oh, my God, that's not just something you and your goofy family say. It's an actual thing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, I say it all the time. No great shakes, meaning no big deal. Not a big deal. Yeah, yeah.
0: nothing to make a big party yeah. about. Yeah,
1: and I have to say, when I was growing up, I thought it had to do with milkshakes. You know, like a chocolate <laughs> milkshake that just you know when is a your little kid, bit melted. Those are way up or... there
0: in the list of desirable things. I
1: know, yeah. right? But that's probably not <laughs> the origin. Definitely not. Definitely the origin. not the origin. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's a fairly common expression, actually. There are a couple of theories about it. There's one that it has to do with throwing dice. And if you're, you know, shaking your hand with the dice in it and then you throw oh. a bad toss that it was no great shake. But I I don't really buy that one. The, the other one that makes more sense to me is that uh, shake boast is an old expression that means to swagger or be boastful. And if you have no great shake, then uh, you're not really anything, anything to boast, boast about, about. Mm-hmm. but but i don't you know the, they're both the, kind of uh, yeah iffy. the evidence we have on these isn't very convincing yeah I the term think. just kind of
0: pops up um free of any kind of suggestive context right yeah but on the other hand we do have gambling does kind of insinuate itself into, it sure into the casual language in the united states definitely it's much everywhere
9: yeah is it old-fashioned
0: yeah, yeah, it's got a good long history, going back to the early eighteen hundreds, at least, mm-hmm. maybe even earlier.
9: Because a lot of times when I use that phrase, people look at me and they'll say, "I love the way you talk. You say the weirdest stuff," <laughs> and it's like they've never heard it before. But you tell me it's very fairly common. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's common
0: enough. Yeah, I don't think it. I think probably if you surveyed a group of adults across a wide variety of ages, half the people would know it immediately. I mean, I'm just guessing here, but it's. I think it's common enough for that. The fact that the translator of it was it a Written, obviously written in English, the Japanese book. What what was who was the author?
9: Uh, Ahuruka Murakami.
0: So yeah, Murakami doesn't write in English. So the, uh, that the translator felt mm-hmm. it appropriate to translate from Japanese into English suggests that the translator thought it was current enough to use that the average literate reader would get it.
9: I'm gonna have to get that book again and read it again just <laughs> so I can see. I I did read it myself and I saw that and I was like, Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, it's yeah,
0: the will have to see how yeah, it would Yes. And I would say that I, I love the the fact when, when people point out odd things in your language, I would take that as a badge of pride it's just your your literacy coming through, right?
7: Kat,
9: you're not as weird as you thought. Oh, I never thought I was weird. I thought they were just misinformed. and Yeah, uneducated. there
0: we go. That's the <laughs> attitude.
1: <laughs> you're right. And that's the solution to everything. Call weird people to <laughs> confirm that you're weird. not weird. I am normal. The three of us are not <laughs> weird. <laughs> All right.
0: Kat, nice thanks. Look up. thank you so much. All right.
1: Thank you. Take right, care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Do you say no great shakes grant? Yeah. No I mean shakes, it wouldn't
0: grind. be something I would say no all the time. Shakes. I'd probably more like to say no big deal. Mm-hmm. Speaking of other gambling terms in English. Ah,
1: there we go. Right. Well, maybe it is a gambling term. I just I just don't see evidence for it, really.
0: No, there's no evidence for either one of those. They're both really insubstantial. It pops up like 1819 yeah. or so. And I read through all the early citations in the Oxford English Dictionary, did some digging on my own. I'm like, i got nothing here that's typically how it works you can spend a week on a term and be no better off than you were when you started
1: <laughs> and we do <laughs> so take advantage of that by calling us 877-929-9673 or send your stories about language in email to words at waywardradio.org hi you have a way with words
6: hi this is alex phoning from montreal
1: hi alex welcome
6: well, the question I had, uh, I serve as a master corporal in the Canadian Armed Forces, uh, specifically in the Infantry Corps, and my question was related to the pronunciation of lieutenant. Now, uh, where I come from, it's very, I guess by tradition, it's a very Anglo unit. So a few members, including myself, referred to lieutenants as lieutenants, and that's also very common in the British Army and uh, the British Armed Forces in general. So I was always wondering... Why it's pronounced that way, uh, especially in the more commonwealth nations, compared to, let's say, in the States, where the rank is referred to as lieutenant.
0: Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, So you're in Canada, and you follow, at least for this particular word, the more traditional British pronunciation, lieutenant.
6: Yes. Uh, My unit specifically is a household unit. It's a guards unit. Okay. So by tradition, we're quite English.
0: Yeah, and Canada overall is squeezed between two major influences, both the U.K. influence and the the United States influence, right? And so it's yes. going to get pushed from both sides, and you can see this happening with things like whether or not the last letter is Z or Z. Um, yeah. just, just to make one thing clear to everybody um, who's listening, um, the word, regardless of its pronunciation, is still spelled the same, right? It's L-I-E-U-T-E-N-A-N-T, right?
6: Still spelled still spelt the same way. Yeah, Yeah,
0: and that's what's especially confusing for folks. First you've got to understand that both pronunciations come from French. Both of these pronunciations existed in French before the word was fully borrowed into English. So it's not something that the the Americans came up with or invented on their own. There's a little asterisk that I'll explain in a minute. And so this happened in French. There were a number of different words that had use in them where the U wasn't altogether clearly separated from the V. And the V and the F sounds can be very similar to um, on the lips, right? Whether or not they're voiced or unvoiced and a couple other factors. And so we have this kind of small group, this cluster of words that can be pronounced either with a f or v sound or without it. And this was one of those words. And nobody really knows why the French started doing that except there was a regional dialect where this apparently became more common. Let it be known that it wasn't some, uh, you know, United States aberration that came up with, with lieutenant. Although... Noah Webster, who had a tremendous influence on the pronunciation of many words in uh, American English and United States English, did prefer the loop pronunciation, L-I-E-U to be pronounced, because he felt it hewed more closely to the etymological origins of the word. And he put that in his dictionaries as a preferred pronunciation. Now, as a Canadian, I don't know if you know, but there was a time in the United States where if you had books in your house, they went in this order of frequency, the Bible, Noah Webster's Dictionary, and some Shakespeare. And so we're just talking, like, the number two book for the longest time, like, the second most common book that you were likely to read in American households was this dictionary. So it did have some influence on how Americans spell and how they speak.
6: Okay. I'm actually quite surprised that um, in French, lieutenant was even a thing. I always assumed that it was uh, uh, lieutenant.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. The French, uh, over the centuries or even longer, have— done a variety of things that have squashed out or drastically reduced the influence of their regional dialects. And even today, some of this takes place. And But there was a time when the diversity of the types of language spoken in what is today France were pretty much like they were when Italy became a a, a nation, just like incredibly diverse, really interesting, a lot of Germanic influences or Dutch influences or um, just uh, hang, words hanging on from, you know, centuries before. It's really interesting stuff. And a lot of that has been extinguished or almost is now considered um, archaic or or even just um, just something to hang on to in order to have some pride, but it's not actually a living language
6: anymore, unfortunately. Uh, the, an attempt to bring everyone together under one sort of identity.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your call.
6: Thanks for taking me. Yeah, and sure. Keep up the great
0: work, guys. Yeah, take care now. Good luck.
1: Thanks, Alex. Bye. Bye-bye. You know, you mentioned the etymological origin, but we didn't really talk about it.
0: Yeah, placeholder, right? Yeah. lu meaning place and yeah. tenant meaning holding or holder. Exactly, Yeah. Uh, so, so you're standing in for somebody. It's uh, equivalent to the Latin locum tenens, which uh-huh. you, people who are in medicine may mm-hmm. know about the locum. He's the guy that fills in with your, does your rounds for you or, or um, handles your patients while you are on vacation or, yeah. you're, or you're sick yourself.
1: Yeah, literally in place of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lieutenant, in lieu of you. We'd love to hear your question about language, so call us, 877-929-9673, or share those language stories in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. We heard from Tom Mulcahy in Indianapolis who wants to know, why does an usher ush? Or is that one of those verb-sounding words that isn't one? Is, Why does, does an usher us? Does it
0: come from shushing people?
1: No, that was my guess, too. It, they
0: usher you down the aisle.
1: Right. Right.
0: They're leading you from place to place.
1: Right. Actually, it goes ultimately back to the Latin word os, which means mouth, because an usher was somebody who stood at the mouth of a building, at the door. Oh, interesting. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I lo- love when we get questions Usher, like
8: that.
0: ush, from mouth. That's yeah, very cool. Yeah.
1: Nice, right? 877-929-9673.
0: Hello, you have a way with words.
1: Hi, this is Leanne
7: calling from San Diego.
0: Hi, Leanne. Welcome to the show.
7: Hello, Leanne. Thank you. What can we do for you? Well, here is my question. Um, my mom used to put me to sleep at night and tuck me in in the 1950s and would say this expression, have sweet dreams and rest in the arms of Morpheus. And I'm interested in how that came to be a phrase, why someone would be using that and every day sign off for their children and anything else you could tell me about the use of it. So did it make you feel secure then? Oh, it was it was just lovely. Who wouldn't want to sleep in the arms of someone? And um, I understood who Morpheus was, but I had no idea where she might have heard that, or if anybody else used it. It just is a question that's been with me.
1: Sleep in the arms of Morpheus, and you say you you already know that Morpheus was the uh, the ancient god of dreams. Yeah. Ultimately, he became the god of of sleep, but in ancient Greece, he was he was the god of dreams and and uh, a sh- sort of a shape shifting character who could get into your dreams and impersonate people. And and we oh, get the word better, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Comes from the Greek word Morphe, which means form, and we get the words metamorphosis from that. And ultimately, we get the word. Morphine, which induces sleep, yes. from the name of morphine. <laughs> yes, morphers.
7: but how how would it be that somebody would come to, that that would be an expression that people would
1: use? Yeah, that's a it's a gorgeous expression and one that's used less and less. I don't know about it
0: would go back to when we were more classically literate, right? right? Yeah, when True. when it was the kind of thing that. L- everyone who went to school would read the myths right and and he was also had the same name in both mythologies, right in the Roman and the Greek mythologies
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Ovid's Metamorphosis. Yes. yeah
7: but but I'm, how did this come to be something that people ever used in modern times in the 50s, for example?
1: Right. I understand your question and I'm not sure of any song or any passage in literature that would have suggested, uh, those that exact phrase
0: what but what you would have mm-hmm. is if you think about the influence that television shows have today where they're a common cultural touchstone, and we might call back to a story that we all know because we 've all seen the show and say, oh yeah that 's just like George Costanza and the fat wallet right or ah. you know that's like waiting in line at the Chinese restaurant with nothing happening right <clears throat> at a time when everyone knew these mythologies, if you were educated at all you knew them it'd be easy to say, yeah, I was so tired." last night it was like i went to sleep in the arms of morpheus and everyone's like oh yeah morpheus sleeping dreaming being tired yeah it makes a lot of sense to me Mm -hmm. and so even today these these mythological figures are have given us a whole bunch of other words all of them have more or less most of them anyway and even today you can say um thundering like zeus and people will still get oh yeah zeus is the god of thunder he throws lightning bolts right Yes. um and so Pretty much it's just a cultural touch point. We all have it in common there. We can refer back to it to make sure that we're understood.
1: I love it. Well, it's quite possible that other listeners have gone to bed and heard exactly those same words. Mm. If you've heard that phrase, let us know. Call us at 877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org.
0: Leanne, thank you so much for your call. Oh, thank you. All right. T- thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.